Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above the Bar podcast, where each week we belly up to the bar with a new guest, find out what they do, who they are, and what makes them great. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Above the Bar podcast. It's your host, Sean. We've taken the show on the road. As you can tell, if you're watching, watching the live stream, that is not sticker with a cause sign behind my head. If you know what that is, that is the Empire States Building. Me and my best friend, Ken, we're down here in the city. It's NYCC. I got my classic NYCC shirt on. So we're going to make our, our rounds for the next couple of days. So if you find us down in the, in the city, uh, let us Stop by and see us. You'll know where we're at. We'll be walking around Artist Alley and everywhere else at the show uh, trying to find Pizza Rat because I'm hungry and our train just got in a little bit ago, so we may have to go do those things. But we brought with us today a, uh, let's see, all the all the adjectives I can come up with, a, uh, a verbal wizard, a uh, master of the written word, a uh, pugilist of the punctuation. Whoa. A, like that one. A wordsmith of words. A word a smith a wordsmithy of wordsmithing. Uh all those things. And I don't have my soundboard, so we'll have to just give you claps on our own here. We have James Quarles. Yay! So I don't have my soundboard. This is so weird to not have say and we're already starting starting to uh to lock up on things and do all that. So uh but Dylan, welcome to the show, bro. So glad to be here. Thanks for having me, you guys. Been looking forward to this one for a while. Probably, probably took forever to, to get to it. Now, folks, if, if we start to cut out or any of those things, just bear with us. Like I said, I'm working off a of hotel Wi-Fi. Dibs is working off with of two squirrels making out in a sock. And I don't know. Dylan's the one that looks professional. But I will say that your, your mic shaft there looks like mm. a lacrosse stick. Is that a lacrosse stick you're using? I might have made some sort of modifications to a lacrosse stick no i i will say this though it, it's it was like i think it was an ipad stand that my wife got she's a teacher she got it for the pandemic when everything went remote and she had to teach from home so she had an ipad set up on this stand and then i and then i kind of got into like guesting on podcasts and i was like noticing all the videos on tiktok they always had this like rig you know where it's like hanging in front of your face like you see here and and what i had before was like a like a shitty little microphone stand and so i was like i know how to use a screwdriver so i started like i started like uh frankensteining these two things together so this is like part ipod stand part <laughs> oh, podcasting mic and it looks like a lacrosse stick so not stand. only an author really but an good. inventor <laughs> an inventor oh, of dude <laughs> i'm a I'm a straight up Renaissance man over here, you guys. <laughs> I, I was I was gonna say it's the professor from Gilligan's Island. Mm, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, run, run with it. So, but let's get let's get some house cleaning done here, folks. As we do in every show before we get going. Obviously, you see up here next to me, we got we got my co-host Dibs hanging out with us in the land of the lost, up in the U, up in the Ute in, in Michigan, hanging out. Uh, oh shit! You're in anything the UP? new on you? Um, he is in the UP. south of the UP. Yeah. Oh man, I'm so fascinated yeah. with that area. It's called Canada. It's hours I, south. I know. Right. Hey, I. You know where I'm at. I'm in the Pacific Northwest. That's basically. I mean, when I walk at this one beach in my town, I get a text on my phone that says I'm now in Canada. 
that's how close. I mean, I like to look across at it. So I completely sidebar. I worked for Amtrak and mm. when we would get, and I would take the train and I worked in Niagara Falls and I can't tell you how many times I would have to call the phone company and be like, take this charge off my yeah, phone. Right. I was not in Canada. I don't, I didn't make an international call. Well, so we're, we're basically you, three almost Canadians then. Almost. Yep. yep. Okay. Hey, I'm almost a. Hey. 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 <laughs> so let's get get into this, folks. As always, I don't have the big board behind me, but for sticker and a cause, as we always say, you reach out to me on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, TikTok, Instagram, even our email. It's all the above the bar podcast. Send me a message. Let me know what you're supporting. Maybe you've got your own book that you're writing. You've got a sticker for it. You've got a podcast that you're supporting Girl Scout Troop. I don't care what it is. Send me out a message. I'll give, give you the address where to send it. And we'll put that up on the big board and you'll get a little free advertising. We'll throw that up there for you. Also, though, if your uh, media looks like it's been asleep for about 15 months and you need to go ahead and upgrade that, Make sure you reach out to Media by Dibs. That's that guy right next to me. Reach out to Media by Dibs. And if you contact him and let him know that you're belling up to the bar, he's going to give you a 10% discount on your first media order and a free consultation. You can find him on Instagram and Facebook at Media by Dibs. And if you go ahead and go on to LinkedIn, you can find him at Andrew Dibble, D-I-B-B-L-E. Look, no S at the end of that. No S. No S, because I always seem to want to add an S to it for dibbles, dibbles and bits. Uh, but and reach bits. out to... Dibs and Bits, uh, that's how you can find him on uh, Twitch is at, at Dibs and Bits. So all the house cleaning is done. All that's over with. Mr. Dillon, sir, how are you? I'm doing super well. In fact, I'm doing so well that I'm going to crack open a nice Freem Pilsner. Freem, that's, the, that's Freem with a P. If they're listening, I'm available. What What is a Freem? So I like a good Pilsner. It's so what's a, a Freem? It's like a, it's a brewery out of Oregon. And they're pretty hot right now, like, because I'm in the Pacific Northwest. We do a lot of craft beer out here. I mean, everybody everywhere does craft beer now. But, like, you know, we like to think we were a little bit uh, ahead of the game with that. But um, Freem is out of Oregon, and they're kind of taking this area by storm. They do IPAs that don't, like, just totally taste like cat piss. I love an IPA. I mean, but every, but you know what I mean? Like, we're, we're now, like, 10 15 years into the IPA kind of craze and some people are getting oh, burned yeah. out. Some people being me. So frame kind of came along and they've, they're doing some nice stuff with beers. Let's just say that. But I figured if I drank a, a, like too many IPAs while I was recording a live episode, I, I can't be responsible for what's going to happen. So I opted for the pills. Yeah. Right, well, we take I mean, left turns all the time. So a couple, <laughs> couple IPAs, man, we're, we're going down the dirt road. Like <laughs> you, you never know what could happen at that moment. Well, you know, it's funny there. So I'm in Albany right now and we've got some amazing Vermont beers like mm. Vermont kind of leads. I think Vermont really leads the charge with a, a lot of those things. But Albany itself is doing well with it. But you're up in the Pacific Northwest. You have my favorite Hyphavison in the world comes out of there. Which Pyramid. one? Oh, Pyramid. yeah, that's a that's a classic one. I So like. Mariners with a team, you know, they are the team. Hey, go Mariners, right? Everybody's, uh, right. but like right across from Safeco Field, my, I don't even know if it's fucking been renamed. It might have been, um, but right across from the field used to be Pyramids Brewery and they moved. Oh, really? Yeah. So like everybody used to go to the brewery first, get their drink on, and then hop over to the game after. 
Um, it was like the coolest thing ever. And unfortunately, I don't know why. I think it was something maybe COVID related, pandemic related, but the brewery has since closed up shop and maybe moved somewhere else like South or Soto or something like that. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Pyramid myself. Um, I, I'm down with their half. I'm down with their um, apricot ale. I don't know. I don't usually go in for like fruity beers, but something about like a stone fruit and like a dried stone fruit kind of works with a beer, right? It's like not too intense fruit flavor. Anyway, beer talk. Yeah, I, I, look, we I can do beer talk all day long too. But yeah, that's definitely, and that was actually, and Dibs will appreciate this one. So it was another Marine that when I was on active duty, probably, I'll tell you right now, I the first time I had that one was 1999, 2000. And that was when they were, uh, they were still micro brews, not craft yeah. beers. Right. Yep. Right. And, uh, and the best part of what, about it was, is this was a Marine that stopped drinking at age 20 because he knew he was an alcoholic at that point Ooh. and yeah. stopped drinking. And it was like, he knew it was time to stop drinking when he tried to throw his roommate out of a window in, uh, in the bathroom in Okinawa. And the problem is the bathroom windows are like one Tiny. foot by yeah. one foot by like 10 inches, like these tiny windows. And he's like, I, I tried it. to throw the guy out. And he's like, yeah, it was time to stop drinking. More like tried to but he knew all the good it. beer. Yeah, but he knew all the good beer still. And it was like, fair yeah, enough. Yeah, but it's there, There's nothing better to do than to throw Try to throw us. windows. And, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we lost the dibs. The squirrels must have stopped. The squirrels stopped. But dibs will be back on, and I'll bring him back in a second. So I want to kind of get in, into your book. So eight books down. Yeah. Number nine's number nine's on its way. Um, you've got the Marsh. Just had them all up. I got my my screen just went down for me. Uh, nope, you, you're not allowed to tell me all because I'm going to bring them back all back up. So you have the ruins of Mars, uh, the ruins of Mars, ruins of Mars, Walking Titan, Eyes of the Apocalypse, The Man from Rome, which is the thriller. Yeah, Three B Monsters. There be um, monsters. There be monsters. Stand by. They've just sent me a message. The Secret History of Port Townsend, Volumes 1, Ooh. 2, and 3. Yep. And, and then the Quantum Biography of Steve Kubiak. Kubi, how do you pronounce this last name? Kubi, Kubaki? Kubaki? Kubaki. Or Kubaki. Kubaki is how I say it. And he's never corrected me in all the years we've known each other. So, and that one, and folks, we're going to kind of skirt around some things because I really want you to read that book. That book and that story about his life That's and his crazy. situation is probably one of the wildest things. Definitely has like the only thing missing is a lump in his wrist that ends up with a computer chip in it. Right. Something, we something weird along those lines. But I, I guess I'm, I, I kind of want to get into what I mean, most people, like I said, when we were posting, you write one book and you're excited. Yeah. You've written, you know, coming up on number nine. Were you were you always a writer kid? Were, like I have a son who spells his name Dylan. We spelled it the same way. All right, um, the good way, the good way, the good the way. way. Yeah, not 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 Dylan, not uh, it's Dylan. It's um, with a Y. Come on now. With, yeah, and he, him, and his buddies used to like write comic books and and, yeah. and put stories together. Were you that Been kind there. of kid? What got you? Yeah. What got you into writing like that? Uh, well, kind of like your son. Um. Uh, so I grew up in a family of uh, storytellers. My dad is like a prolific storyteller. And um, it just, I kind of learned from a young age how to, you know, hold that audience, 
um, the way he could do it. And uh, I started doing comic books in like high school. I was like late to the reading game. Weirdly, I have a little dyslexia. And so I was late to reading, but once I, once it clicked, I totally was like, okay, now I've arrived and I'm going to like read everything I can get my fucking hands on, including shit that like little kids shouldn't read. But my parents were just so stoked. I was reading. They were like, go for it, kiddo. Uh, so around high school though, I started making um, comics. I had this like series of comics. I was like thinking about this the other day. It's funny. You bring up your son does that. He, he does comics. Cause like, Back in my day, you know, me all of 36 years old, I'm fucking ancient over here. But like I would I had a book. I'd do the comics in this one book and then I would circulate the book. It would make its rounds through the high school, get passed from people person to person. They'd read it and then it would come back to me. And when it oh, wow. came back, when it came, when it came back to me, that meant it was time for me to do the next edition of this comic that I was doing. It was like an ongoing. It was like a spy comic it was kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, James Bond. But the characters all kind of look like the Simpsons because I was watching a lot of Simpsons and James Bond at the time because I was a high school boy. So like that was like my first taste of like entertainment. Like, oh, shit, I'm entertaining people. And they're like like people that maybe not don't necessarily like talk to me or know me personally, read my work and like it enough to not like um, vandalize it or you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like right. they return it. It didn't come back to you with dicks on everything. Exactly. No. And they didn't change any of the spelling. Like, I mean, this I'm kind of still mad about. Like, nobody corrected any of the spelling errors. So that's fun. <laughs> but whatever, you know. So, like. So it never made it was, to the English teacher. <laughs> well, if it did, she didn't say, she didn't say anything about it. She must have liked the, uh, the the plot or whatever. Or the art. And it always it was like always it was like graphically violent. Like I think about like that that nowadays, like in today's climate, and like obviously Columbine had already happened. Not to get dark, by the time I yeah. was in high school, like shit had already been hitting the fan in terms of like violence in schools. But I lived in a small town, um, and so maybe people were just cool with it, or maybe no one ever showed any teachers. But this was like pretty violent stuff. Like, but it's like it's like comic book violence. You know what I mean? It's not like right. a manifesto or anything creepy. Um, so that was like my first kind of taste with like, okay, people like what I'm doing in terms of storytelling then i got into filmmaking because that's what you do when you're in high school and shit is fun and you have a lot of friends around you can call them up say hey i want to meet me here at this time we're going to do this i got a costume for you you're going to be a vampire whatever and i had a little core group of friends we'd make movies together we'd write the scripts and everything um and one of our movies made it into the local film festival and that was kind of like the high watermark for me in terms of like filmmaking i never really did like get above that I had a couple of college films that I directed and produced and wrote um, and edited and shot everything short of fucking being in it because I had to actually film it. So somebody else had to be in them. But like um, I loved that whole process, like creative storytelling and all that. Um, and I loved having a big premiere. People would come. That's how I met my wife. She came to one of my movie premieres in college. It was like a zombie movie. She said I looked cute in my suit. Aww. I did look cute in my suit. I know. She wrote it on my MySpace page to date myself again. Was she in your five? Like she was in the circle? She was in the yeah. circle. So she could say that sort of stuff on MySpace and get away. She posted a picture of a bonobo masturbating. Because this was the internet children before Zuckerberg. When you could do stuff like that. You could get away with just about anything. You could you get away to. with just about anything do you, you wanted to on MySpace. Do you remember how great it was when MySpace added music? But then you would oh, go my through people. God, yeah. But you would go through people's pages so angry to figure mm -hmm. out how to cut their music off. Like, how? Where's the mute like, button? Because it was and, so loud. 
and you could like customize the page so you could like it wasn't always in the same spot you know what i mean like where yes. the music player was you could like move it around so like it wasn't like oh i'm gonna hop onto his page and go right over here and mute it it's like maybe he buried that shit way down over here or something you know uh That's so, so it was so fucking annoying but cool at the same time i i honestly miss my space if it if tom if you're listening we miss you man come on back yeah, he's that guy i saw something not to go make a left here but i saw something not long ago when he sold that that guy's into real estate or something now worth about 64 million dollars you know he didn't he's not of course on that he is. Zuck, he's not on that zuck money but uh but he that zuck he money's not good art. for you though that zuck money ain't good for you that's how you get turned into like a lizard person or something man i i i'm okay i think i'd be okay with that i think with zuck money I, yeah like like i'm willing to take the challenge I'm willing okay. to accept that challenge. If somebody wants to give you like $250 billion, you'll take yeah. them up on the challenge I mean, just to see if you retain your humanity after all I said and done. You know, like, like, do I understand my humanity? Like, would I be willing to, to, to be in a small room in a hotel in New York city, just to walk around a comic book floor with other dorky people like myself, you know, or would, would I be, be still willing to, or would you be hunting human beings on like a small Island in the South Pacific, you know? Because they do that, folks. The rich, they hunt us. Don't ever yeah. forget that. As long as I don't go to the uh, the Epstein side, I mean, we're good. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we don't know. We That's... don't know what they were doing on that island. They could have been hunting people. They could have been. So, so your your wife's, you know, you're you're making these films. Your wife jumps in. I, I didn't mean to make a left on you there, but uh, so she jumps on. Where do we go from there? Uh, I graduate college as you know the inevitability. Um, and then the recession starts to stack up there. It's like 2008 ish. Um, my wife and I, she was my girlfriend at the time. We both jet to South Korea to teach English. Uh, this is how I know about tiny windows in East Asia, by the way, we hear Okinawa story, South Korea, the bathrooms, tiny windows as well. My friend, tiny, tiny windows. So Pusan, um, were you in Pusan? No, but I've been to Pusan. Great place. No, we were in a town called Mokpo. Um, it's in the south of South Korea, right at the bottom of the peninsula. Um, it's sort of like the jumping off point to like the hundreds of islands that are all oh, around cool. the southern tip of South Korea that nobody knows about. Because why would you? They're like so tiny. Like some of these islands have like five people that live on them or whatever. And like a lot of pepper farms and cool shit out there. But so we were down there in the south south. And um, we're teaching English. And it's a pretty lucrative gig, at least at the time, like. Um, in terms of like your rent was paid, um, you got a pretty decent paycheck. Uh, they gave a portion of you, a portion of that paycheck to you in cash. So you immediately, you know, we're just spending it everywhere. Um, it was cheaper to eat out than to buy groceries because the government I've subsidizes bars and restaurants. It's a cool thing. Our government could really like learn a thing or two in terms of like subsidizing restaurants and bars. Like, a one number one with the bullet here we don't have to you don't have to tip in south korea because the workers are just paid a living wage so that's nice you know what i mean like you feel good they feel good everything's good but so we were out you know drinking and hanging out and doing all that fun stuff and i was really loving it but i was definitely missing being creative and i didn't have like a network of creatives around me because it's all like expat english teachers and all we did was really just like drink a lot so when we got back from korea it's full-on recession time um, I get a job doing facilities maintenance. That's how I know how to like 
MacGyver this whole situation. This is how I know my way around a screwdriver, ladies and gentlemen, because I did facilities maintenance for like 10 fucking years. I was a property manager for a mental health nonprofit, which uh, I could tell you some stories. Oh, I'm about um, to say that. Now I know where you get your material for your book. Yeah, exactly. No, like seriously, like a good chunk of the names of my characters come from like real life people that are, um, yeah, they're they're institutionalized. So I don't think they're going to be able to come after me for using their names. Yeah, but not- we'll see. I won't tell you which people. That's how I'll yeah, stay safe. That's, how you, that's but, how you stay safe from it. Yeah. So I'm like working this job. It's like a good job. It got me through the recession and everything. Um, but I was like just dying creatively. I wasn't doing shit. And I was like lamenting to my wife one day because um, she figured out her shit. She's smart. She's like, I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to become a teacher. And so I'm like, well, what am I going to do? And she's like, figure it out, Dylan, basically, in a very polite way. <laughs> in, in, um, a very mom, in a very momly way. Figure in it a out. very mom. Well, we were, we were having yeah. it over beers. So, you know, it was like. Figure it out, Dylan. Figure it out, Quarles. And um, so. Uh, I'm like, all right, fine. I will figure it out. You know, challenge accepted. I start toying around with this idea that I have because I've always been obsessed with like the whole idea of like the pyramid on Mars ever since I heard about it as a kid. And then I saw all the footage. And I mean, like I'm low-key an ancient aliens guy. Like you could check me out on other podcasts talking about that at length um, to the point that it's probably off-putting, but it's it's a thing I like. Um, so like I start toying around with this idea about ruins on Mars and how what would how would that affect like our concept of you know whatever and our place in the universe and what would that what, what would a mission to explore those ruins look like and all this stuff and um I'm like why am I like doing this daydream if I'm not going to like do something with it so one day at work I just pop open Google Docs and I just start writing and I haven't like written anything in years and years like since like college I had a guy who wrote screenplays and I'd punch him up kind of so like even then I wasn't doing a ton of writing because um, I was focused on the sexy stuff like, you know, framing shots and all that. Um, and getting I just started writing this, back on. getting my Stanley motherfucking Kubrick on. Um, I start, just start writing and I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Um, I thought what I was writing was like groundbreaking. Like I, I seriously had like unironic conversations with friends like oh i'm pretty sure i'm gonna win a nebula award for this like which looking back it's like cringe but you know what i'm gonna own it so but fuck if people didn't like that book though you know what i mean like people were like when i put it out i I shopped it around to agents uh the ruins of mars one and i didn't get many bites and i didn't really understand how that whole system works anyway basically if your last name isn't the same last name as a famous celebrity they don't give a shit who you are what you have to say um talking to you if you're listening agents knock that shit off you're losing great storytellers to self-publishing because you just want to go with famous people's kids and it's it's honestly shameful so shame on you uh sidebar but um i i was like fuck it i'm gonna self-publish this thing we'll just see what happens so i self-published it ruins of mars one i had absolutely no expectations and it just fucking blew up. Like it just started going like bing, 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 like downloads. And I hadn't actually started writing the second book in the trilogy yet um, because I just kind of wasn't sure what to expect. And all of a sudden I'm getting like emails from people because back then I had my actual email listed. Like now it's like I've kind of like, you know, covered that up and I've got like dummy email accounts to, for people to send hate mail to and other things and, and solicitations. But like, Look here, get... no, no way that would happen on Mars. I would not. Hey, happen. we want to know what's Listen happening here. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, for real. You, 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 you we joke, but it's yeah. These people, they do write me crazy things. Uh, someday I'll put that all in a book. That's what you get for writing me. But um, yeah. So I'm like, oh shit, I better get started on the second. So I do the second, and I do the third, kind of like back to back, like, and it just like really took off. And um, once that happened, I was I was hooked. It was kind of like getting back to that old high school thing of like, I'm putting stuff out, it's going around, and it's coming back to me. Only now it's coming back to me in the form of like reviews on Amazon and sales. And um, I started a Facebook page and then people would like join the Facebook page that I hadn't um, like, you know, when you can go and you'd be like, invite all your friends and they all hate that when you do it, but you do it anyway. Like you invite them to like your page. Well, I'd have people that were like jumping on liking the Ruins of Mars Facebook page that I never met. And they just, they searched it. They typed that in without me telling them to on Facebook because they had read the books. And that was like, that was kind of scratching that old high school itch of like people like your story structure. They like your storytelling, your characters, whatever. They like the violence because the Ruins of Mars is super violent. Like it's, it's, it's heady. It's metaphysical. It's, it's historical. It's got all kinds of cool shit going on. But like at the end of the day, people fucking die gruesomely because I love that kind of storytelling too. And like, that was it. I was done. I was hooked. I followed it up, you know, man from Rome, super violent, really fun. I love Rome. And I just kind of kept going from there. Um, there be monsters, which you did briefly mention. That's my most recent novel. My last novel, uh, I guess the Kubaki uh, biography, which I've co-authored hasn't come out yet. It's it's making the rounds to agents again the whole issue of not having you know my last name to not like spielberg or Busey or i don't know why i threw Busey under the bus that poor man but you know i don't have a famous last name so it's like but it's making the rounds it will be coming out through a through a traditional publishing but like yeah um the last novel that i wrote though there be monsters that's the one that won me a best indie book award that was like okay i've arrived like not only can i post those sales because ruins of mars have sold like a hundred thousand copies that book just sells itself. I, I do very little with that book. It just goes. I every day I wake up, I check my my Amazon reports, and it's ch it's just chugging along. And I, and I love to That's see. That's awesome. I know. And there be monsters was like total shot in the dark, very out of left field. We'll see. And that one won a best indie book award. And I was like, okay, fuck. And so now I've got the validation of like people like writing me personally emails and stuff saying we like what you do. Please do more. I got the reviews, the sales. Now I got the award. I'm like, okay, I could finally like ease up on myself a little bit. Just kidding. I can never ease up on myself. That's why I'm cranking out more and more short stories and stuff like you mentioned, the secret history and all that. See that, and and folks, as you're listening to Dylan talking and letting us know his the books and where they're coming from and all that, make sure you're going on to djqfiction.com, Delta Juliet. QuebecFiction.com. That's where you can find us up. That's where all the, the first eight books are, are listed at. That's where you, you know, the links to, to be able to purchase the books, download the books. Um, I guarantee you, if you send him a hundred dollars and ask him to sign one, he'll sign it I'll do for it. you. He, pro mm -hmm. he promised me this earlier. He said for a hundred dollars, he will even put lipstick on and put a lipstick print in the book and I send will. it to you. I'm completely lying right now, but I figured he's not listening he's to not Dylan. Lying. <laughs> He's not lying. We did just we had this discussion. It's cherry all red, cherry red, right there. <laughs> and he just did the whole cigarette move, so he might even grab a cigarette and roll it, roll it on there, and you can have that too. Whatever you need. So, but all the, the these books, and I I want to talk about uh, the book with Steve a little bit to kind of get into that. But 
you've mentioned a couple of times, super violent, super violent, super violent. Mm-hmm. Where are you, you know, where are you drawing that from? Is it just movies maybe that you, you watch or is there something that, yeah. normally you, you hear these people talk about, oh, you know, I had this rough childhood upbringing, this, that, and the other. Where, no. where does it come from? Yeah. Well, I had a pretty not rough upbringing. Let's just say that my parents are pretty supportive. Um, I use the word pretty. And I'm just going to leave like a pregnant pause after that. They're pretty supportive, mostly supportive. Uh, but I do, Honey, I do write. Hobby done with yet? So that you I know, get like, a, oh, a real I, job. Oh I man, a real I, job. I know. I love my parents so much, but I did have one of them tell me that I could write a, I could write a great American novel if I, if I just. It came, they came right up to saying, leave all these churldish things behind, but they didn't. So, you know, I'm giving them a pass. No, I oh. mean, I, I grew up watching, like, you know, uh, I mentioned it earlier, James Bond. But, like, really, like, I think it, what my the eye-opener moment for me was, like, it was a kind of a doubleheader, the Paul Verhoeven doubleheader. It was RoboCop. It was Starship oh. Troopers. And Great movies. Seriously. Um, someday, people in internet land stamper cinema podcast we're going to be talking about starship troopers i'm saying that now to pressure him to have me back on to talk about that fucking movie because i love that movie super amazing movie incredible movie super super influential for me um it was this idea of like maximalism which i talked about on the stamper cinema podcast this idea of like almost like over the top like there's like this difference between like really like gut-wrenching like real life violence like which you know you as former marine like not, I'm, I'm not trying to cause people to have like bad feelings or flashbacks. Right. Yeah. Flashbacks to terrible times or like to relive trauma. Um, I'm trying to entertain you. And there's a kind of violence that's like, so like almost like borderline detached from reality that it's entertaining, but like in a story setting, like as long as it re- adheres to the reality of the story, like you could still get the emotional gut punch of like having a character die in a violent way without being like grossed out or like frustrated at the author for being like basically disrespectful by killing a character in like a really gruesome, grotesque way. Like I don't like revel in violence. Like I don't give you like two page descriptions of somebody getting shot to death or whatever, but like violence is in my all of my books and it happens in a way that's like a little bit um explosive like it's a little maximalist it's quentin a little tarantino bit, it's a little tarantino. quentin tarantino it's a little paul verhoeven like you know robocop when somebody gets shot they don't get shot they get turned into orange pulp you know like they yes. get t- turned and they get juiced and i so some when my it's sort of the same thing like the man from rome is probably my most violent book um it's urban fantasy um, which is an existing phrase, like that's an existing genre. I didn't create that. I, I like when I tell people what it is, I say it's a mythological thriller. It's a thriller, it's like a spy thriller set in Rome, but there are immortals and there are Greek gods and there are elements from Greek mythology that turn out to be real. But it's like worked in in a little bit of a sci fi way because I am a sci fi guy still, where it's like we're not saying, like they're not like literally gods, right? They're just like interdimensional beings or something you know it's sort of like leave that up to your interpretation but that book um is pretty fucking violent um because there's like a whole 
uh, part of it that has to do with these like mercenaries and they're waging, you know, they're attacking the main character and they come in public and they are very violent and they've got all these guns and all this stuff. It's like a really violent book, but even that um, it isn't, it's like RoboCop violent. It's like Starship Troopers violent. It's like the world that's created for the book isn't taking itself so seriously that when the violent appears, you need to take it really seriously. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's there to entertain you, not to minimize violence, not to say violence is entertaining, but sometimes it is because like, we're all a little bit Roman at the end of the day. We all, we all watch, we all watch sports. Yeah. So many, like, it's, how many it's times that. did you rewatch the Miami dolphins? Uh, to whatever his name to a tungalua. Oh, uh, I saw that. I saw that on TikTok. Get Oof. right. Getting his bell Yikes. wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting. You, you've, you've brought up the differences, you know, I understand exactly what you mean when you say, you know, that Starship Trooper, you know, if you read Stephen King's Misery, when they describe the lopping of the ankles in that, mm. it's not done with a sledgehammer. It's done with an axe mm. in the, in in the, the book. book. And it's very in the book and it's very descriptive. Uh, yeah. So I know exactly what you mean. And I don't know if you knew this about Starship Troopers. That is actually on the Marine Corps Commandant's reading list is Starship Troopers. Wow, that's crazy. Because Heinlein, the author, that book is a little fascist. I've read it. My was a deal with my parents. They were like, you have to read this book before you can watch the movie. Again, they were just like, read anything because you're reading. Oh, my God. Then the movie was new. And so I read the book, Starship Troopers. I gave my parents my little kind of 10-minute report on it at dinner. My dad rented the movie. Uh, We watched it right up until the guy gets his brain sucked out by the brain bug. And then my dad said, I'm turning, I'm turning this shit off, which he didn't know that there was only like three minutes left of the movie at that point anyway. Um, so he was fine with the, with the, all that other stuff. Yeah, no, no, that all that other stuff fine. is totally fine. No, it was, it was the brain there bug. It was one, up. that was one choke <laughs> over the line. <laughs> That's so great. Like of all the scenes in that movie, that was the one. Not that was the, it. the guy's arm being melted all for any of those other things. That I think was he was one. like, he was red. He was like redlining. Like that was like the meter was getting. And then that was just like over, but he didn't but realize it's like three that minutes was it. left. There was oh, like nothing right there. You're right at the end. I mean, he did. So he went to bed. I popped the VHS cause this is VHS times uh, back in there you know, when everybody had gone to bed and I watched the end of the movie, I, I was ready to watch like another hour. Cause I thought I didn't, I had no concept oh, yeah. of how long movies were. And then it's like, it's over right after that. I was like, Oh damn it. Oh, well, okay. Well, good movie anyway. And I since have rewatched it like a dozen times and I will probably Great watch movie. it another dozen times more before I'm in the ground stamper. Andrew, if you're listening, Oh, uh, I've read the book. I've seen the movie. The book uh, was, I was surprised by it. Um, I how great is knew, the book how much did you love the book? I love the book. I, I liked like three quarters of the book. And it's funny because I listened to an interview with him that was part of the, it was like an audiobook, um, cards on the table, because this was when I was working for the mental health nonprofit. I would binge audiobooks because I was working with oh, my, my hands all day. I'd yeah. went one earbud in, so I had the other ear to like listen because you got to be aware of your surroundings, you know what I'm saying, when you're working around a certain population and you got tools and sharp instruments everywhere. So um, I, I binged tons of books at that time and Ender's Game was one of them. And one of the neat things about some audiobooks is they'll include like interviews from the author and other neat things um, as like supplemental, you know, material. So Ender's Game 
the audio book that I listened to, it had uh, an author interview at the end. And he talked about how it was a short story that won him some awards. And then he was approached by publishers after winning these awards for his short story. And they said, turn it into a novel. And so he did. But by the time he was turning it into a novel, he was seeing um, he was seeing the potential and the future of that world that he was creating. And so he started to incorporate into his novel. I just burped. Sorry. sorry. He started to incorporate. It's the frame. Guys, if you're listening, frame. Get the bubbles. <laughs> Let's get them just right in the middle. Balance them out. So like he starts to incorporate. He starts to plan out his next several novels in the series. And it makes it into Ender's Game, which was just a little point of frustration for me. And also, I'm a massive hypocrite, and I recognize this. The Ruins of Mars 1, 2, 1 and 2 end on cliffhangers that go directly into the next book. So, like, I recognize the whole, like, hypocrisy of saying <laughs> I don't appreciate a setup in a book having done setups in my own books. I get it. Don't tweet at me. Don't send me hate mail. If you do, I won't read it. But, like... With the end of Ender's Game, like the last like quarter of it is like a is like the beginning of a different book, and that's why I say I like three quarters of Ender's Game. I like the beginning, I like the middle, I like the most of the end, and then there's that tacked on bit, which is basically the setup for the next book in the series. Um, so, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, no, you're you're good. You're it, good. I'm gonna sip it, my. It beer. was a, I was just curious. Like I'm I'm listening to all this, so. Um, we always hear, you know, English class, you know, as a kid, you know, this, you know, this is a writing process, this, that, and the other. Do, do you have a process? Are you, you know, do you need to be barricaded in? Or like you said, you just opened up a Google Doc and you went at it. What, you know, for somebody who's out there right now who's saying, you know, I got a book in my head, I yeah. want to get it written down. What's some of the advice on a process? Hmm. Well, I can tell you how I do it. And it's not going to work for everyone because I've heard a lot. Of, I've been at this now like over 10 years and I've done workshops, writing workshops, and nothing takes the wind out of your sails quicker than in the first five minutes of a writing workshop, having a, one of your participants tell you the way they write books and it being better than the way you write books. And you go, Fuck, I'm supposed <laughs> to give you like a six hour course on how to write a book and you got a better process than me. All right. But, um, I call I like to do what I call sandbox writing. Um, I also like mystery box writing. So a lot of box metaphors here for my writing. But like um, a, a good example, uh, before we jump into sandbox, a good example of a mystery box style of storytelling or writing is the show Lost, where every question that you answer brings up two new questions. So that's how you keep the reader going. You keep the mystery going you keep deepening their investment in the story because every time they get an answer they've got more questions so you satisfy and then you introduce another itch that needs to be scratched so ruins of mars is just totally full of that kind of mystery box storytelling the difference between the ruins of mars and lost is i knew where i was going and i got there lost had no idea where they were going and by the end they sort of just like fucking limped across the finish line you know what i mean i mean anybody who's seen the end of that show i love it Again, don't tweet at me or send me hate mail. I won't read it. But the last season is a fucking mess. Um, so I like mystery box storytelling. But my real, like, if you talk about, like, creative process stuff, like, 
it's sandbox writing. And this is the idea of like a little kid in a sandbox with all of his toys. You, 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 you go to the, the playground, you've brought the toys with you that you have, you're not going to be able to go home and get more. There's no deus ex machina. There's no bringing something in at the 11th hour that wasn't there already. It's when you start your story, you're in the sandbox and all the toys you have are the characters you're going to have and the elements you're going to have for the rest of the story. And you have to figure out how to make all of that shit work and serve the plot, whatever your plot is, right? So you can't say, oh, I don't know how to get myself out of this corner I've written myself into. Oh, I'll bring in a completely different element out of left field. No, you can't do that. You're in the sandbox and you have the toys that you brought. So the planning comes in the very beginning. What am I bringing to the sandbox? What's my concept? Who are my characters? What's my setting? These are like essential items that you need to bring into the sandbox. Once you have all that packed down, you hop in there and you just start letting shit play. You just see how it plays together. And when you run into a, a problem, you got to solve that problem with what you already have. And more often than not, the creativity of solving that problem with something that exists already in the story, something that readers are going to be familiar with because it's already been introduced, really makes your story feel like fateful it makes it seem inevitable right like when these like crazy turns happen but they happen because of elements that have existed in the story since the beginning of it it doesn't feel totally out of left field anymore it feels like fateful it feels like it was always supposed to happen that way um so that's like my writing trick is the sandbox i make the sandbox i bring my toys and i don't try to bring in any any I don't try to bring in any new toys. Um, and if I do, I go all the way back to the very beginning of the story. And then I make sure I mention that that toy was there all along. You know what I mean? That's like cheating a little that's bit. Interesting. That, that's wild. So, and I, I like the fact with that styling as a reader, because I, I love to read, hence why I'm at NYCC. Um, so FYI, cool. folks. Every movie that you you've been watching here of late, that whole shit, I've been reading it for years. I'm the asshole out there going, yeah, yeah. you know that's 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 not that's not right. That's the that's book was better. Goes. Yeah, I, so I I catch myself, and I one of my really close friends, we call him the Podfather. He, that's who got me into podcasting and everything. He always tell, tells me the movies aren't aren't made for me. They're not mm -hmm. made for me. No, they're not. But they're they're made for the person who never saw it and completely sidebar. Did you know what why Green Lantern when it came out had such an issue for so many people? The Ryan Reynolds one? I guess that's the, the only Ryan one. Reynolds isn't one. It? Yeah. You know, I actually I, have never been, seen that movie, weirdly enough. I enjoy it. So I will tell you there are some great things about that movie. I don't care what anyone says. Um, they had a great opportunity to introduce the entire space side of the DCU. Um, right. They were right there. They did a great job with, with um, a lot of that stuff. But a lot of people had issues with it because they introduced Hal Jordan and they said, hey, the Green Lantern isn't white. And they only knew the cartoon John Stewart Green Lantern, who was a Marine, who was black. That's the only uh, oh, one they like knew. They'd seen the TV show then or something. They'd seen the TV show and that was was theirs. And so many people were like, that why would they why would they change the race of the Green Lantern? They're just whitewashing it, and it wasn't that, the case. Honestly, that whole that whole discussion of changing the yeah. race of any fucking character, white to black, black to white. That if you're one of these people that gets upset about that, knock it off. 
Like seriously, stop it. It's like well, the literal. It's like literally not fucking important. Like almost all the time, unless like the character is like a freedom fighting black, right. you know, person who's smuggling people. Unless it's like Harriet fucking Tudman and you turn her into a white woman. Like it kind of doesn't please, matter. Like please, I'm a writer. I write. I write books. I do. Some of my characters are specific. Like Ruins of Mars is a lot more specific, like where they're from, because it's an international coalition of astronauts that go on this. It's like it's like bringing together, you know, people from South Korea, people from China, people from India. So it's like kind of important what their races are. But other than that, when I write books, I don't fucking tell you what the race of the character is unless it matters. And if and that's me saying that if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. So please, producers. I know you're listening because why wouldn't you listen? This is a quality show. Uh, this is what you do. When you make one of my movies in or one of my books into a movie, cast whoever the fuck you want. I don't care. You won't hear a peep from me. And it's, it's interesting. And what I was saying is, is you really knowing those characters from the beginning and knowing everything, as you said, all the toys in the sandbox, mm-hmm. you truly get invested in what's there. So when something's taken away from it, character passes away something breaks yeah. something's not there you feel it. it you feel it because you know that that's not there anymore there's yeah, no like you do well, well look at that in the next room there's two more of them it's not it's one of not. those kind of situations it's true. that that's interesting but i wanted to, you you made a left turn we, we kind of left turned into that but what do you think about when people do it the other way and when they made a cura they put or not a cura but ghost in the machine oh yeah right and then they scar joe and then with Scarlett Johansson, that was like, why? That's I don't, that's I don't such a know. departure. That, that's why one of those ones. That? Like, why? Why would you do that? That's such a departure from from the character in any way, shape, or form. I know. I think the hot name. I, it boil. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's like it got, it does go both ways. It's like like whitewashing is a serious issue that I see as I, I see the validity when people like point to it like it that's a great example ghost in the shell of whitewashing it's like okay that's a japanese anime all the characters all the characters are japanese in the anime and all the spinoffs and sequels are in japan starring japanese characters why would you turn it into a white chick and oh well you know she's really an android so it doesn't matter anyway whatever but it's like if it's specific to the culture if it's like specific to the character, um, then I don't think it's really cool to mess around with it unless you're trying to make a statement, right? Like, like uh, Miles Teller, Spider-Man. They're making a statement with that, you know? And I love it. Miles, Morale, Miles, Morales. Miles Morales. Miles Morales. I'm actually Miles Teller. Jesus Christ. Okay, you can write me hate mail for that. That's fine. I'll read that hate mail. Well, that's <laughs> No, that's, that's Miles Morales. Because... That's They're making a statement though, right? Well, well but he's in the comics that way yeah when they wrote the and comics though what's more interesting is he's actually from spider-man 2099 mm. originally like so miles morales the original character is spider-man 2099 and here i'll geek out for a minute um Please his do. actual villain number one villain you talk about where stories really get into real life at that point very similar to uh player number one uh, corporations have taken over and are the ruling class, are the government, are in oh. charge of everything. And he's that's who he's really throughout 2099, who he's fighting with and who he's fighting against is 
these corrupt corporations that have really taken over the world, that right. world. Yeah, it's, it's a very, yeah, that's, yeah, because I knew it's got a name. I don't couldn't remember what it was though. It's in but, a bunch you know, of novels because it's like honestly what we're heading towards oh, a little bit. So, we're yeah. right. We're right on that. We're we're right on to that line. You know, when you go and you know, the only thing missing is going to a an event and getting arrested by the corporate prisons and their corporate judge, and you never see. Yeah, we're headed that way. But yeah. now, it, in in all your writing, we kind of hinted at. And I'm gonna mess Steve's name up if you talk to him. Tell him I apologize. It's Kubiak, Kubiaki, Kubaki, or Kubaki, Kubaki, Chubaki. Yeah. His story, and I'll give everybody kind of the wave tops. You can correct me. I want when this book gets written, I want people to go read this because I remember hearing this story growing up. Oh wow! You know, it was kind of it was kind of like an urban legend. It's yeah, a, Dibs on the know, UP. He probably heard about it. He had well, he's originally from New York, and then oh. he traveled around. But um, he he went missing. Yeah, he was missing for for fifteen months. Mm-hmm. Wakes up in like a field or something like that. Yep, with zero point zero recollection of where the last fifteen months have gone. Yeah, D- doesn't know what's happening. Very. Um, I, I grew up with the urban legend of, of the orange juice, the, the guy who took so much acid that he thought he was a glass of orange juice. You oh, nice. That one? No, but you know, I they, love it. That that was like an urban legend. So I always felt that that story was an urban legend. Never, and heard it as a kid, never put much more to it. It was a That's very, uh, I think probably the first time I ever heard it was probably like an, uh, like an unsolved mysteries or a show like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Missing 411 has done some stuff on it. Right. How do you meet this person mm. and then all of a sudden make that connection where they're comfortable enough to for you to tell their story? Um, okay, yeah. So I can talk about all this because it's like public knowledge more or less, or it's my side of the story. Um, I knew Steve for like six years before I ever even learned that he was at the heart of this, um, at the heart of this mystery, this unsolved mystery which had itself spawned dozens of conspiracy theories. And I am a conspiracy theorist of the um, most harmless nature. Like you'll never, you know, you don't need to worry where I was on one six. I was at my house, you know, <laughs> I'm not that kind of guy. You know what I mean? Like I have a Q in my name no that's just because I was, I was born with a Q in my name. Okay. Don't no, no Q at, non shaman. Don't at me. Yes, definitely not. I'm like the ancient aliens guy. I'm the Sasquatch guy. I live in the Pacific Northwest. I'm cryptids, you know, sea monsters, giant squid, all this kind of stuff. Uh, So to learn that a close personal friend um, was at the heart of like dozens of really out there conspiracy theories was pretty fucking exciting. Um, And then to learn the truth was even more exciting, especially with – and I have to be careful, you know, especially with the way that it went, because what you said about the setup um, is true. Um, he went missing for 15 months. He woke up in a field. Um, the bit about having no recollection of where he was for those missing 15 months, that is where we get. That's where um, the story is hazy. That's so well, the story there. 
that's where story. that's that's the reason why there's a book that's going to be coming out about it because in fact he does know where he was for those missing 15 oh, months really he just he just wasn't in a place personally professionally to speak about it really? publicly so no. the book is going to tell you where he was for 15 months now i'm going to leave that where it is i'm going to rewind I'm going to dip back my toes back into what I can talk about because oh, I'm oh. under contract. I'm under contract. So we got to be super see. careful. So I'm going to go back. I knew Kubaki. I knew Steve for six years. I first met him because I was looking to uh, you talk about the guy who took so much acid that he thought he was a glass of orange juice. Well, I didn't ever yeah. think I was a glass of orange juice, but I sure did crack a couple of ceilings. You know, I hit the dome and I'm like, what's out there something is going on uh in my reality that is more nuanced than what my professors taught me in college what i learned growing up in my house like my understanding my relationship with reality needed a bit of contextualization and steve kubaki was a person who uh came into my uh sphere through those pursuits of trying to understand what it was i was uh, the information that I was kind of like learning from the universe. I don't want to sound too woo woo, but like no, you're not sounding woo woo. But I, no, no, you can't you can't brush that shit. Not on this show. We're all about that. We've had yes. Patty Negri on here. We've had the only all Native American uh, paranormal investigators on our, okay. unearthing okay. the supernatural. So you guys are into it. So you're, you're into it. We're we're into this. Like, okay, well, yeah, so I did. Once a, we start hitting this road, my show always jacks up. Once we I'm down, about. listen, man, I, I have exited the workforce. I am now a stay at home dad. I run an indie, uh, indie publishing LLC and I write books. So, yes, I have done hallucinogens um, in the past. Uh, I went to the Evergreen State College in Olympia. People that know the Evergreen State College in Olympia are going to go, oh, yeah, okay, of course. It's in the woods. The mushrooms just grow in the woods. You pick them. You take them. You see things. You learn things. Anyway, I learned a lot. I saw a lot. Changed my life. I met Steve. Um, he has – we don't use the word shaman because it's a really loaded term and it's been co-opted by a lot of like weird like, uh, uh, like co-op – Yeah. You got to be careful with it now. You know, I mean, how many people have you met who don't respect that, though? You know what I mean? And don't understand the they don't take any of that real reality into context. They're a shaman because they burn a little bit of sage every once in a while and they go and they sweat it out in a lodge. But like, so I met Steve to kind of start getting serious about um, really trying to take all of this stuff I'd experienced and learned and really try to like bring it down into something that's here and now in this place, in this time, which I understand time is relative and this place and here and now, these are all like totally um, subjective words, but like to try to, as he calls it, scaffold, take all this knowledge and all this stuff I've learned from taking copious amounts of hallucinogens, talking to various beings and having information beamed into my head that I then can't articulate later because I'm a fucking caveman with a box of crayons and I just met Leonardo da Vinci and he taught me how to paint. You know what I mean? Like, like how do I start to take this knowledge and make it something I can use in my life? So that's how I met Steve. And he was massively helpful um, because he walked that road himself. Um, and we did a lot of work together for six years. We, you know, we met almost weekly uh, for six years. And 
we would do guided imagery, past life regression. We would do um, astral projection, all kinds of stuff. We were we were dipping our toes into all this. And I'll say from the book because I wrote the line, I feel I can say it. He was the um, Don Juan to my Castaneda. He was the Morpheus to my Neo. Um, and we became extremely close. And then my wife, um, who is an incredible uh, lucid dreamer, like just unbelievable. Her, She's a superhero, literally. Um, she had a dream about him one night and they'd never met at that point. They'd never met, even though Kubaki and I had been friends for six years. Um, she had a dream about him. And in the dream, he said something to the effect of, I need your help. And he was dressed as a monk. And so she woke up and she um, texted him because she was doing some editorial work on a piece that he had written, um, which you can buy now. It's called the Meta Mathematic Foundations of Reality. It's super interesting, very dense. He's a smart guy. You got to be smart too. Um, but he, it's it's accessible enough. And um, she wrote him to say like, hey, have you, I had this dream about you and have you ever been a monk? And he goes something to the effect of like, Oh no, but time's not linear in the dream world. So you could have been talking to like a future version of myself, like a very, very, very Kubaki answer. And um, she wasn't super satisfied with that answer. So she Googled him, Stephen Kubaki monk. And there it was like, there it is. When you Google him, there it is. It's the disappearance. It's all the theories. It's the YouTube videos of people theorizing. It's the missing 411 piece. It's, it's all of it right there. Was it angels? Was it aliens? Was it the Michigan Triangle? God, I wish Dibs was here to talk about the Michigan Triangle. Like, um, was well, it? He sent us a message because he couldn't get back, and he says, "Trying to re revive the squirrels." <laughs> That's funny. Um, you need a Ouija board, Dibs, but um, like a little one, a tiny Ouija board. But um, so I'm like, she, and then she texts me, calls me actually, I'm like, "Did you know that Kubaki was, you know, and goes through the the rundown?" I'm at work. I'm like, fuck, no, I didn't know about that. Like, I'm like fucking flummoxed over here. And I'm in the, and, and like, you know, the entire time that I'm uh, working with Kubaki, I'm writing the Ruins of Mars. So when you read the Ruins of Mars, um, and there's a lot of metaphysical shit in that book, please understand that I'm not just dicking around. Like, these are, these ideas that are explored in the Ruins of Mars, they come from a place that's rooted in work I was doing as a person as well with Steve Kubaki, not for nothing. So I go to him next time I see him and I'm like, Steve, what the fuck, man? Where were you? And he just tells me, you know, he just <laughs> says it. He just tells me where he was. This is what I was doing. This is what happened. And he lays it all out on the table. And uh, he says now, you know, that you've heard, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, but you, you got to help me write the book because he was aware of my work as a writer and my flexibility as a writer, because I'm, I'm a flexible writer, you know, and um, I read a lot. So I know how to emulate what I read. And so we sit down together, we start writing the book, you know, it's a series, the book is um, finished. It's really good. I, I can say that with conviction, we've co authored it because there's so much of him in the book, that it only seemed right that he should be co author. It's told right, from my point absolutely. of view, it's told from my point of view, but it's 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 a series of conversations between Steve and I, um, where we talk through the events of his life. Cause everything, when you read the story, everything was leading to that disappearance. It was inevitable. 
just like the sandbox, which is part of why I was so attracted to telling the story. It was inevitable. When you get to the point when he disappears in the book, it was always going to happen when you know about his life, when you know about his childhood and, and, and the way he was brought up. So it's a series of conversations between Steve and I. And then there are these narrative vignettes where I get to flex my writing muscle, where it's information he's given me about his life that's told in a story style. So it goes back and forth between that. It's like a story. It's it's like we're having a conversation. And then if you can imagine like a TV show, it fades to the story. We do a flashback and we see a bit of story and then it comes back to us talking and then back into the story. And that's how it unfolds. And it covers everything. It covers his childhood. It covers his uh, high school years college years and it covers the disappearance and it covers where what happened and it covers his um re-emergence and his reintegration into society after the events um of his disappearance and it's a fucking banger of a read and it is very unexpected you you, you really can't guess like I, all these people that have been out there saying that it's angels the michigan triangle that it was aliens i love all that shit please i do but you cannot expect what really is the truth and there was um there have been people poking around you know while we worked on this project for years uh, investigative journalists who borderline harassed us because they wanted to get to the heart of it they wrote you know former friends of his they wrote um ex-girlfriends um you know they really like exercised their first amendment right to poke around and um they're if they're watching this right now uh susan the book's coming out soon, and you get all the answers you ever wanted. And uh, yes, you'll Susan. Just have, oh, yeah, yeah, Susan. But honestly, yeah. like your determ your determ your determination your determination was inspiring. But sorry, I beat you to the punch. So um, yeah, it's like it's going to be. I think a, that's what's so fascinating, though, about this is he's the only person that knows. Now you well, do, I obviously. Know. Yeah, I know. Now you do, but I'm I'm just saying, like. For all those years, it wasn't like, dude, he was he was sleeping on my couch. Like, no, I don't know. No, yeah. Like, like, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it was never yeah, like yeah, right. anything like that that came out mm -hmm. that where anyone was like, dude, yeah, no one's like, ever, no one's ever come forward, is what you're saying. With yeah, to like say, this ever, is actually what. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. like I no. got pictures of him, me and him at, at the local roadhouse, you know, throwing back yeah. a couple. Like, I don't know what everybody's so surprised about. And no, to just to, to sweeten it a little bit more, sweeten the pot. And, I, and again, I think I'm I think I'm safe here. It's like his mother hired a private investigator, so there were people looking for him beyond the police who were looking for him. Not to, not for nothing. Huge search effort because where he went missing. And again, I, I can talk about this as well because this is all public knowledge. He went missing on the on Lake Michigan. His skis and his knapsack were found in the middle of the lake. We're in a very remote area after a huge snowstorm. There were some footprints, but according to reports, it looked as if he had just walked out of existence. There were some footprints and then nothing. Massive search effort. Planes, helicopters, divers, dogs. Um, they went under the ice and they couldn't find him. Um, so like... When you say, yeah, there's nobody who was like, oh, he was just on my couch, whatever. It's like, yeah, this is like a real deal unsolved mystery. It's like one of the, I don't want to say it's one of the last unsolved mysteries because there are more unsolved mysteries. But it's like, right. it's a legitimate unsolved mystery, except for 
Um, we solve it's not we're solving it. We'll solve it for you. I'll solve it for you. You just have to we just need for our publisher to pony up and uh make it happen because wow. the book is done and and it's being shopped around to publishers right now and all it's going to take is one of them to um yeah, to get the cojones to say let's do this thing. How, how uh, would somebody not not I mean, for him to say like nope, I'm I'm letting my story out here. The truth is going to come out. Somehow. This is this is what I was getting at earlier with my like weird comments about like if you're not a famous celebrity's fucking kid or like a basketball player, like it's extremely hard to get a book published. Like even if you are at the heart of an unsolved mystery, yeah. it is hard to get a publisher to take a risk on you because they are so risk averse that they have created a situation where an Amazon self-publishing is now annihilating them. Like I'll do a little bit of ranting here because I've been writing for 10 years and I've never had a publisher give me the time of day except for one time. And I won a best indie book award, not for nothing. Um, but like this timidity in the publishing world is what has led to its ultimate reduction in, in footprint. Like, this like, oh, well, we don't know if you're somebody, so you can't tell a story. But you know who can tell a story? Stephen King's son. It's like, can he, though? Can he really? I mean, just because he's well, Stephen King's son. Joe, Joe, Joe Horn is – Horn's pretty pretty damn – or Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah yeah Hill. Joe Hill. Joe Hill. Horn's. Joe Hill. See, a lot like yeah, it, but that's fine. Whatever. It's very familiar. Uh, when I read it, I was like, hey, uh, I've seen think, this before. Do you really think – do you think a group no, of, we're telling think... a story with flashbacks and it's a group of childhood friends and they've got a dark secret. And then when they're older, the dark secrets coming back again. And we keep flashing back to when they were a fun little band of kids. Yeah, but every... and it's all very familiar, but whatever. I don't want to get into a whole thing because Joe but, but, Hill, but I was gonna say, he might be my best say, friend someday. I don't know. But I was going to say, that, I mean, if you, if you look at it that way, every superhero story is just copying Gilgamesh. Yeah, yeah, no, you're not wrong. But you know it's, the mean? difference like, is the difference is Stan Lee is not Gilgamesh's author's son. You know, th this is true. Well, we're you all, know, so we it's all could be. We all could. Be and I didn't mean to take it. I didn't mean to swipe. No, but, I don't. I didn't no, mean to swipe. No, no. A swipe at Joe Hill. It was more a swipe but, at but the no, publishing that, industry. The way that I, they I are, you. like, they're just like, ooh, -ee, I don't know, the Steve Kubaki guy. It's like fucking Google him for Christ's sake. He's ready to tell you where he was. This book yeah, will that's... be a bestseller. It will be a bestseller. You know, so it's we'll get. Now, there. what about? Well, I'm not know, worried about I, it. And I know that you know, being on this podcast, this is like episode like we're pushing almost 150 episodes. I mean, this Damn. is an impressive place to be. You know, we we know what we're doing here. Like, what a, do you think? Maybe because I like I said, I remember hearing this story. Do you think some people have have forgotten what the story is in that part of the it, issue? I mean, maybe, but it pops up. You know. Like, like I was recently watching like an episode of Ancient Aliens. Ancient Aliens, if you're listening, have me on. I got ideas. Um, <laughs> where they were talking about portals. It was like a, an episode about portals. And I'm watching it. And then suddenly I'm hearing Steve's name. And they're talking about his disappearance. So it's like his case gets brought up. You know, it gets recycled. And then the other side of it is to, in our in our pitch to publishers and, and agents, it starts out with, Google Steve Kubaki and then come back and read the rest of this pitch. We'll wait, you know, because it's like all you got to do is go out there and and and, and just Google him. K-U-B-A-C-K-I. And you will find a trove of incredible stuff on the Internet um, of people trying to figure out what happened to this guy, including 
some really good investigative journalism that ran into a wall because nobody would talk to her. But like people have been trying, like crackpots yeah, have been trying. Susan, sorry, I know it's so shitty. You work so hard. Um, people have been trying, <laughs> and sorry, Susan, and it's so you know, it, like honestly though, like for all of my like ire that I have for publishing, traditional publishing, like ninety eight point eight percent of that comes from the fact that like I've written like nine books, and every time I go to like query an agent. I actually haven't done that in a while, especially since I started my own publishing company. I'm like, fuck you guys. I don't need you anymore, which is true. I don't. But like, because again, oh, you know, you know, Amazon's kind of taken over the world. But like there was a whole time in my life where it was like basically like if I didn't have like grit, which I do, I would have walked away from writing because I would have thought no one wanted to hear my stories because no because a small group of people kind of gatekeepery type people were like, well, your last name's Quarles. It sounds weird. And it's not. Um, you know, King. So sorry, uh, we don't want to, we don't want to read your manuscript. Um, the Kubaki book is going to get published. It will. Somebody's going to smell money, and they're going to jump on it, and they're going to be. Oh, I'm fascinated. I'm so. So fascinated I, I have no, right I have now. no, I have no, I have no anxieties about that. Like that book's coming out. It's going to come out from a major publisher. And you're going to see it at like Barnes and Nobles. You're going to see it like wherever. You're going to see it in airports. It's a perfect airport book for when you're riding yeah. on a plane and you just want to turn pages. Like, and it's going to make you think and it's going to challenge you. And it's going to like, honestly, kind of fuck with you a little bit in a good way. So I'm, I'm super excited for it to come out. Like also, cause I worked really hard on it. Like it's, it's like a good book that I worked really hard on making sure reads well and is good. So you know, I mean, I write a lot of crazy stuff under my name. That's personally what I write and what I like. And I stand by all of it. And I think it's quality fiction. This is really good. And it's real. You know, it's nonfiction. Uh, like, like I, Dylan, I'm mind boggled right now. <laughs> when, when you started to get into, you know, the, you know, hey, psychedelics and all those kind of things. Like, I feel like we should be talking about microdosing because I know you're out that way and you guys you know love where microdosing. I live. You guys mm -hmm. love your microdosing out there. Um, where I live in my in my county, which I will not name huh? because the man, um, we have decriminalized all of that. So well, it grows yeah, that, in the woods. It grows from the ground every fall. We're coming up on the season when I'm going to go picking stuff. You know, I'm going to go foraging here pretty soon. Um, yeah, like it's just it's just there. It's there. Well, look, to I, help I'm, you. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still of the, of the mindset. You know, you, if it's if it grows naturally, like you know, everything in moderation. It, it's already been put here to take care of us. Remember, Aspen and the comes work from tree bark, folks. Well, Aspen and you as a vet, bark. you as a vet, you know, I mean, incredible work is being done right now for vets. For oh, yeah. our for, woefully for underserved PTSD. Vets. Yeah, yeah. Incredible I have work. A, I have a good, I have a good buddy who, under the care of a of a doctor, not yeah. just he didn't just do it himself, under the care and because his brother's a doctor, he did microdosing because he had real bad PTSD and was in a real bad depression funk and was having issues and didn't want didn't want to take anything that was going to be highly addictive or. Was gonna sure. every so many months gonna have to take um, 
what's it, uh, go get his liver checked and his kidney checked. Look, Dibs is still watching. Oh, we love you, Dibs. Uh, VA has made uh, strides, absolutely. And, and, you know, they're starting to, to get more into these things and, and these ideas. But I find it very interesting because it's like anything else. If I went out and I drank a gallon of booze, I'm going to, of red wine, that's not going to be healthy for me. But we all know that a glass of red wine yeah, is safe. Your heart. You know, mm-hmm. it, it gets into like, uh, I had somebody say to me uh, not long ago, I grew up Catholic and they were like, oh, I can't believe everybody drank out of the same cup. Well, did you know that red wine like kills all that shit? Like, and it's it, a it silver all, cup anyway. Yeah. Like that shit's all dead. It, well, nothing, the idea of like, you know, uh, the fact that you could maybe twice a year when you really need it, when you're in a really bad spot, like, I don't want to get like, you know, I, I don't talk about this stuff a lot personally, uh, uh, publicly because it's deeply personal, but I lost a daughter and I would not have been able to in 2019, her name was Rainier and I would not have been able to, uh, come back from that without the help of these naturally occurring um, funguses just grows by my library in my town, folks. I didn't have to go to some weird company that makes stuff in some crazy factory in India or something and is a massive distillation of yada, 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 and is incredibly addictive or whatever. Look at the opioid epidemic. Absolutely. You know, I didn't have to do any of that shit. I just went to the library at the right season. I knew what I was looking for. And it was massively, massively helpful. Like to the point of like, I can't overstate how helpful it was. And I'm not talking about like, it's not like every day I wake up and I take my daily amount of antidepressants or whatever. I don't, I'm not on antidepressants. And there's, this is no shade to anybody who is, you know, Um, I, did this a few times with intention um, at intervals when it was necessary. And I went into it with intention and I came out of it with uh, a feeling of having served those intentions. And that was really helpful in navigating, um, frankly, through those feelings, you know, through those feelings and emotions, incredible stuff, you know, talk about, I mean, just like, stuff that makes you question your will to live, you know? Um, and it grows in the ground. It's one thing. It's not multiple things put together by people you'll never meet in a location that you'll never know monetized by people who own yachts and jets and multiple mansions and influence elections with dark money. It grows in the ground by your public library people. So tell me how that's bad. You know, I get that without uh, a little bit of guidance, it can be dangerous. So can a lot of things. So can alcohol. I don't need a therapist there with me if I go to the store and I drink an entire gallon of whiskey, but I can do it because the law says I can, you know, so it's like I get that there's a lot of work still to be done with like kind of like acclimating people to the to the realities of these things and how helpful they can be. But like I'm a huge advocate. And like I said, where I live, 
Um, it's decriminalized. There's a thriving uh, psychedelic community here that focuses on the rehabilitation, the 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 healing properties of these things. Not like we're nobody's like we're jamming out. We're gonna like listen to the Grateful Dead for like eight hours. It's not, and, a, fish, like, it's not a fish concert every day. No, I mean, I'm sure that does happen for sure, because why not? I mean, honestly, it grows in the ground. Fuck, it has multiple uses. Sue me. But like they are they're really focused on healing and it is healing and it's there when you need it, but you don't need it every day. And that's what I think is so fucking amazing about it. It's like I lost my daughter. I can say that without breaking down in tears because at certain intervals during my grief journey, I used these naturally occurring properties to help me navigate and com- and contextualize really intense intense emotions wow you know and, and and i and i haven't in months and months and months i haven't needed i haven't needed it i'm fine i'm i'm going along like you know i'll have a beer if i'm having a if i'm feeling a little stressed out i have a son now he's amazing he's 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 my guy you know he's like 10 months old i love him to death i told him the story of his sister the other day i didn't die you know, I didn't go to pieces because these things have helped me um, and they can help you, too. And I don't honestly know how we got way off onto the subject, but like, honestly, people Welcome petition, to my world. petition your Welcome lawmakers. You know what I mean? They'll listen. Petition your local lawmakers. Get involved. This shit is good for everybody unless you're a evil robot lizard person. And if <laughs> you're one of those people, there's no helping you anyway. And you shouldn't listen to those people if you're not one of them. So okay, you know. we're gonna make a left turn for a minute. Lizard people, I just I need yes or no answers. Lizard yes, people, okay. yes or no. Lizard people, yes or no. Yes. Okay. Earth round like, or flat? Wh- oh, round, one hundred percent, please. Okay. Okay. Want to make sure? I've had some invest. I've had an investigator on it. Sasquatch, oh, no. yes or no? Sasquatch, yes or no? I live in the Pacific Northwest. It would be sacrilegious I if I said no. So yes, yes, of course, yes. Look, I, where I live at, uh, not far from where I live at in Albany, they had one of the like the biggest sightings in Whitehall, New York. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a that's good a one. Very famous one. Uh, yeah, which is also interesting because Whitehall is all they. It gets more publicity for that and less for the fact that it claims to be the birthplace of the U.S. Navy, which is very yeah. odd to me. It's very I mean, Sasquatch odd. is Sasquatch is sexier than the Navy. I mean, is that a surprise I, to anybody? I'm, you know, Sasquatch and Navy bell bottoms would be very interesting to me. Ooh. Navy dungarees, the bell bottoms yeah. could be a thing. The smell, but, though, the smell. Um, let me see. Any other conspiracy? I, I know you. I'm going to say aliens. I already know that's a yes for you. You know, big I'm, yes. I'm, I'm, that's a yes for me. Paranormal. Drake's yes. equation. Come on, Drake's equation. I mean, they what exist. Is Drake's equation. That's uh, like that, the. That's like the one that says like. Uh, it's the equation that was it's it's not for whether or not they visited here it's for whether or not they exist period like based off the number of suns that we can see in the night sky it's it's called drake's equation it's basically says like okay with with the parameters that we know from our solar system applying those to all the other suns we see there should be something like 10 billion civilizations that we can see in the night sky kind of thing like yeah like all the other goldilocks planets yeah exactly absolutely like you can't tell me that they're I always go with, you know, don't tell me that you think that much of yourself. Yeah, that right. You think there's nobody else out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and guess and guess what? They, we've already had rocks land here that they've checked that had funguses and bacteria from other from outer space. Guess what? Those funguses and bacteria are alien and 
Those are aliens yeah. on the planet. I love that concept, the pollinization idea. The yeah. idea that like, like any habitable planet is basically just a smorgasbord of other things from other hand, you know, like that's just that ended it, up it there. ferments yeah. growth. Yeah. Yeah. From I something mean, that just, might have lived there. Now I got to tell you one of my personal conspiracy. So like, there's a great comedian. I can't think of his name right now. He was on, um, he does some, a lot of voice work, um, but he has a great line about, you know, he doesn't believe in, in all the conspiracy theories, but anybody who doesn't believe in at least something and thinks the government's batting a thousand, just doesn't yeah. make sense to him. But no. I have I have a personal conspiracy theory that kind of goes back to what you're talking about. And folks, if you're still sticking with us, make sure you're checking out djqfiction.com, getting his books, and I, I appreciate it. I have one that I still believe that the whole going to – like remember when they were saying, hey, heroin is cheaper than weed, and that was going around and everybody – did you ever notice that Afghanistan is – it, it, it's the heroin place. That's that's yeah. the poppy field place. Right. We took over that country. We had right. our forces were there. That shit didn't slow down. Not a that not shit even didn't a little stop. Bit. And not I always tell people like, bit. did you ever stop and think like people are like, well, no, it's, it's fentanyl. I don't give a shit what it is. But listen to me. It never slowed down. It never stopped. That was the place where it was all coming from. That was the major spot. Yes, there's places in China and other countries, blah, blah, blah. And now if you go to Mexico, the Mexican cartels have their own poppy fields. They've taken it over down there. But think about that for a minute. Yeah, it right. never like slowed the, down and it never stopped. It wasn't disrupted by the war on yeah. terror, which should have, at the very least, disrupted it. Like, it should have been like, oh, but I never no. saw any any junkies out on the streets. They were all still doing the Hey, Ron Lean and, and all the that. The war on drugs was never supposed to actually be a war on drugs. It was a war on poor people. Look, the, oh, God. We, our government, you know, loves drugs. Drugs are great. The, the reason that they don't like mushrooms that grow in the ground. Can't, and, can't uh, tax them. Well, is you know, they don't can't make you dumb. Them. They don't make you sick. They don't make you uh, rob your neighbor. They don't make you good for basically anything in the government's eyes. In fact, they make you less reliant on um, on those systems because you see the farcical nature of giving your entire self to a system that doesn't even give a shit if you live or die, you know? Uh, you're just a number. You're a worker. You're a worker B. And as so drugs like heroin, great. There's potential there to maybe get you into uh the prison industrial complex with something like heroin oh look don't even get me onto that one like corporate prisons and one of my favorite ones that i for profit one of the ones i found so cute was finally california mr as far left as we're gonna get we're we're just we're we're, we make we we are the liberal bastion did you know that it was last year they finally outlawed corporate prisons because northern stuff Northern California, all their ice facilities were actually corporate run. Mm, oh yeah, ice I heard about facilities. this. And, yeah, I remember uh, reading which about was that. more interesting to me was if you go back to when uh, Bernie Sanders first was running and lost to um, Obama the the first time we really knew who Bernie was. 
the biggest thing on, on the docket at that point was he was talking about corporate prisons and then people finally started going, Hey, what is this? Then yeah. they started educating themselves and realizing that the largest lobbying group on the entire planet uh, or in the United States is the corporate prison system. If you didn't know that folks, that's mm-hmm. the largest I've said it a million times on here. Um, and he got it to where they finally passed. A, they were going to pass a bill and sign a bill that said, they were going to be outlawed across this country. You watch the stocks for those companies crash because it was like, hey, we're getting rid of this these. Coming. The states are going to yeah. this is coming. And as soon as he dropped out of the race, it was gone. Nobody talked about it. Nobody talked about it. Nobody wanted to hear about it anymore. It's one of those things that for me is and they always do it the same way. It's small communities that lost textile industries that they move these guys in and say, Hey, we're going to create jobs in your community. We're going to build a prison here. People, people will move to your community because they need to be closer to their families that are incarcerated forever. Oh, and guess what? We're going to inside of these prisons, we're going to start a textile industry that we're going to pay people pennies on the dollar slave labor wages. And there's nothing they can do about it. But guess who's buying those things that McDonald's kid, that kid's uniform from McDonald's. That's where that came from. That was made in a corporate prison. And there's nothing anybody, any of us can do about it. And they go, what? And then you start finding out the people that own them. Michael Jordan's actually a huge owner in corporate prisons. Huge. Whoa. That's where I didn't that's know where that. I, Michael Jordan, big owner in corporate prisons. He caught a lot of heat for it um, when he started buying into these places and putting his money in there. He is a big owner. I don't know if he still owns stock. I couldn't say he does. But that was something he caught a ton of heat for was the fact that he had major holdings in these things. This is something that I remember hearing about Rick Scott, Rick Scott. You asked me about lizard people and I said, yes, Rick Scott is a lizard person. I mean, I don't know if he actually is or isn't. And when I say I believe in lizard people, I kind of mean like human beings that are so inhuman that I hope to God that they're actually lizards because (laughs) if not, Jesus Christ, what did your mother do to you, sir? So Rick Scott, you, sir, are a lizard person. And he, when he was governor of Florida, he would have these fucking private prison people over for dinner at his fucking house. These these owners of these corporations. And it's like, Isn't it crazy? it's like you profit and traffic in human beings and, and That's indentured what servitude. Like you're the biggest human traffickers in the country. And yet we're all going to be like, oh, 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 look over here, ping pong, comet pizza or whatever. And it's like, no, look at that fucking guy. He's having these fucking monsters over for dinner. They're literally slavers. They're modern slavers. Oh, somebody got busted with a little bit of weed in some fucking red state. And now they're going to be making license plates or McDonald's uniforms for 25 fucking years for, yeah, cents on the dollar. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. We, we could absolutely get it. So any, and I'm sorry for the left turn folks, if you're still hanging with us, this is something that always gets me <laughs> fired up is, is, uh, I, I stand by, you know, I am socially liberal, fiscally conservative. Don't spend my money on, on dumb shit and leave people alone to do what they want to do. If they ain't hurting somebody else, why does it matter to you? Um, so we'll get into any, any, I know we're pushing the books. We got the eight books. They can go to djqfiction.com. You can look Dylan up. He is, you can look Dylan up on, on LinkedIn. He is Dylan James Quarles on LinkedIn. Uh, The Instagram is a little bit longer. It's, uh, God, where's my notes? See, we got to talking. My notes all closed on me. Um, Tell the Instagram, Dylan. 
It is. Now I'm going to have to look it up too because it is long. It's it's to do with Rainier Augusta. So let me just pop that yep, up. So Augusta. here I got it. I got it uh, all right here. It's Rainier, A R A I N I E R, underscore Augusta, like the golf course, underscore Indy, underscore pub, like a bar. Uh, yep. You can also find him on TikTok at, at Arthur, or not Arthur, Arthur underscore Dylan James Quarles, and that's Q-U-A-R-L-E-S for Quarles. His Facebook, Dylan James Quarles. The, again, the website where you can get all the books at is djqfiction.com. Um, he does like to, to throw tires around also. He let me know that. He likes to yeah. push tires. That's how I get thing. pumped up for podcasts, like Batman and pod- BBS. Like yeah. Ben Affleck, I hit a tire with a sledgehammer to get really like, it, to get yoked for, for these podcasts. Got to get himself ready. Um, don't log off after this. I got to talk to you about one thing afterwards. Alrighty. But as we do on every single single show, every single episode, it's always the same thing. The guest always, always, always gets the last. Oh, wait a second. I, gotta, I almost forgot some. Also, on my end, I almost forgot to advertise myself. Look at that shit. Um, if you're enjoying what you're seeing, make sure you like, share, subscribe. If you're finding me through Dylan, please. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, TikTok. All of it is the Above the Bar podcast. Make sure you have that the above it, and you'll see my ravagingly handsome face on, on our logo. The Above the Bar podcast. Make sure you give us a like, share, share this with other people. If you haven't started following us on a podcast platform, make sure you follow us. Take your neighbor's phone, follow it. If you take the bus, take some random stranger's phone out of their hand and make sure you go ahead and open up their podcast app and have them follow us. They'll love you for it. They'll really, truly appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, make sure you do all that. But as we always do there, Mr. Dylan, the guest gets the final word. So what is the final word for today? Hmm. The final word for today is psilocybin. Alrighty, folks, be sure to push your stool in. This has been an earplug podcast presentation. Found on EarplugPodcast.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever your favorite podcasts are found.